How many people here are happy? You guys happy here? It is good to be happy. You know, sometimes you need to make a check, don't you? Like, hey, just recently, this month was my um, 20, no, 36th anniversary. Now, for those of you who failed to give a gift, it was May 2nd. That's okay. And I have been happily married for um, 36 years. And I know that because I talked to my wife. I talked to my wife last week, and I asked her if I was happy. She said, yes, you are. So there you go. It is settled. That's the way it works, doesn't it? Actually, as a believer, we are more than happy. The Bible says that we have joy. And joy is something which comes upon a person that has Jesus in their heart, the Holy Spirit working through them, and it transcends the situation, and it transcends whatever you are experiencing, good or bad, at that time, so you can always have joy. It is what is known as a fruit of the Spirit. And so I wanted to kind of start that way because we want to talk about the Holy Spirit and the emphasis of the Holy Spirit and the importance of the Holy Spirit. For those of you who are ology fans, it is called pneumatology, study of the Holy Spirit. Pneumatology, the word pneuma basically means breath or wind, and, and it's talking about the third person of the Trinity. And I'm, I'm finding now with new people coming into church and, and us particularly doing our live stream, I have come to realize that not every person is at a high level in terms of learning and, and that. And some people are just kind of at the first stages of, of faith, turning things out, and, and the Holy Spirit is God. Just as the Father is God and Jesus is God, it is part of the Trinity that we serve one God with three distinct personalities, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And it is, it is the Holy Spirit that comes and resides in us as believers. Now, throughout the month, uh, the first uh, uh, week in May, we talked about the Holy Spirit on the Baptism Sunday. We're talking about today, which is called the Acts 1 experience. Next week, we'll be talking about the Acts 2 experience coming up taking place, and I hope that you can kind of uh, be part of all of that. And as Pentecostals, we believe in what is called a secondary experience, that you receive the Holy Spirit when you accept Jesus into your heart, but there is a secondary experience where God supercharges us for empowerment and enablement, and I trust and I hope that every person receives that. <coughs> now, two weeks ago, uh, we were talking about how Jesus had talked about the fact that he's going to go, but the, the comforter the paraclete, was going to come, was going to minister. And he was going to come and live within us. And so all of a sudden, the, the story continues into Acts chapter 1. So if you have your Bible, um, talk to me uh, and, and open it up to Acts chapter 1. I'm not too sure exactly what uh, version I'm going to be speaking from. Today is crucial. Here's the reason why. We focus on Acts chapter 2 the experience that happened in Acts chapter 2. But I have come to the realization after so many decades in ministry, yes, I said decades, that before you can have an Acts 2 experience, it is important to have an Acts 1 experience. I think that that is something which is absolutely crucial. It talks about a power that is like dynamite. And it is my hope that you will all have all of the Holy Spirit that God has for you. Because we are living in a day where we need all of the Holy Spirit that God has for us. 
As we face challenges in our lives and as we face challenges in our society, we need all of the Holy Spirit that he has for us. And as we see attack which happens in our society, in our schools, in our government, we need all of the Holy Spirit that he has for us. And as we are at problems with emotional and mental health issues, we need more of the Holy Spirit the most of the Holy Spirit that God has for us. And because there are so many people that really, really need to know Jesus, we need all of the Holy Spirit that he has for us. Have you ever considered, as an evangelical church, that there are other denominations, but basically we believe that, that Jesus is Lord and that you need to accept him as Savior, uh, to have him come into your life, all those kind of common things. That among all of those denominations and, and that of the evangelical fellowship of people, we all have the same view of God the Father. Isn't much of a swaying on that. And we all kind of have the same basic idea of God the Son, Jesus, and his work. But when it comes to God the Holy Spirit, have you noticed that there's a little disagreement amongst denominations? Just a little one? gets a little bit heated at times. And there are strong beliefs. And people are dissatisfied. And people are disoriented. And people are disunified. And when you stop and consider that one of the main goals and things that the Holy Spirit does in our midst is to bring us unity, it's almost ironic if you think about it. And the only way that I can explain it is this, is that the devil will put his strongest troops in the places where he is most threatened, where he can sustain the most loss, and for that reason, I believe that there's an attack on the theology of the Holy Spirit. It's important to know who he is. And when all of a sudden the Spirit of God moves in a place unaltered, consider what happens. We're going to be reading from Acts 1 and, and looking at Acts 2. And Acts 2 was an occasion where the, with the inauguration of the church and how many thousands of people got saved on that first day. Many. You take a look at the first four centuries of the church as the Holy Spirit was moving, the exponential growth that had happened. And then we consider the Welsh Revival with Robert Evans. Then we consider the Azusa Street meetings, which this church and this fellowship comes from. In 1906, William Seymour begins a movement now known as the Pentecostal movement as a result of the moving of the Holy Spirit. So it should be no surprise to you that the devil will do whatever he can to prevent the outbreak of the Holy Spirit, and he will do whatever he can to confuse you as to the working of the Spirit. It's important to know that. Because when God does move, there's nothing like it. When God authentically moves, there is no doubt about it. And we live with the conviction that the Holy Spirit can do more in a minute at an altar than he can in a lifetime in any other source of help. So let's look at this. Let's not throw the biggest baby out with the bathwater. Let's take a look at what the Spirit of God says through the Word of God. An Acts 2 movement, the experience we all talk about, is necessary. But I believe it is just as necessary to have an Acts 1 experience. What's an Acts 1 experience? Well, let's read. I'm reading from Acts chapter 1, verse uh, 3, and I'm going to read for about five verses. And this is what it says. After his suffering... Jesus, he presented himself to them 
and gave many convincing proofs. That word convincing proof, the word for that is tecmerion. That's the only place that it is found in the Bible. Convincing proofs. Like it is like convincing proofs on steroids. Basically, what is that saying? That he was alive. That he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. <coughs> Excuse me. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised, which, which you have heard me speak about. Remember John, John 14 to 17? We, we talked about that. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, we are, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to, to know the times or the dates that the Father has set by his own authority. And the key verse here is this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Pretty powerful. <coughs> After that, in the chapter... Jesus ascends into heaven right before their eyes. And that would kind of be kind of a wow moment for me, wouldn't it? And the angel said, why stand you gazing? What are you looking at? Well, hey, that's kind of intense. And so that begins the process of God moving in their lives. But there were some things that had to be done before the Spirit of God were to move. And it's important for you as a Christian, as a believer in Christ, to understand these things. So what is so big about it? I think that there are three things that are crucial to your faith as you're listening here today. If you give me a couple minutes of your attention, I'm hoping that it will encourage you. I'm hoping that it will challenge you somehow, some way. There are three things. And as mentioned last week, all the points have to start with the same letter. So this sermon today is brought to you today by the letter W and by the number three. First thing I want you to notice is the weight. Kind of interesting if you look at it. First lesson we learn about the Holy Spirit in Acts 1 is the crucialness of waiting. It says this, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift the Father has promised. My Father has promised. The Greek word for wait here is the only time it's mentioned in the New Testament. It's not a regular wait. It's called perimeno. And it means to wait for an important event. To anxiously, with anticipation, wait. Like a child would wait for Christmas. Like a mother will wait till 8.30 when the kids go to bed. Amen, moms? No. To talk about it in those terms. And this is an important thing, because I believe this, that the time before God moves may be just as important as the time when God actually does move. Let me say that again. The time before God moves may be just as important as the time when God does move. And why is that? Because the waiting time usually is a preparing time. And the waiting time many times is a teaching time. And it's a molding time. And it's a purging time where God takes certain things out of us that doesn't bring glory to him. Many times it is an exposing time where God shows us for who we really are. And the waiting time is a prioritizing time 
where God all of a sudden sets in us what is most important in our life. Maybe even most of the time, it is accounting the cost time. Because many times we don't count the cost until we're in the middle of something. But in the waiting, we all of a sudden realize what this is going to cost us. It is a character development time. And I think that if you don't have the preparatory time before God, that many times God doesn't move in our life. And this is an important thing to understand. And I say that as a person who will admit to you right now that I hate waiting. Any people here who enjoy waiting? Those of you who are in a car driving here, and there were three cars ahead of you, and the light turned green, and for some reason, the person in front was waiting for a specific shade of green. <laughs> and I have my worship on. I'm praising the Lord. But inside my head, I'm saying, will you not go? You not see that? I'm not going to make it. I'm the fourth one there. You've got to go faster. No, just me? Okay. Or how about at the mall? I'm going there, and, 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 and that one person in front of me, I got three items, and I'm going into the 1 to 15 item um, line, and there's somebody in front of me with 36 items. How do you know it's 36 items? Well, of course, I've counted them, <laughs> as you have as well, probably. And they ring them in, and they ring them in, and they ring them in, and it's finally done. And they say that's $3,000, because that's what groceries cost nowadays, <laughs> Right? And they stand there for a minute with their wallet still in their pocket or their, their wallet still in their purse. And I'm thinking, you knew you had to pay for it. Shouldn't you have had the wallet out ready to go? You know, just boom, 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 happens. Get your scene points or whatever points it is. What, I don't know what it is because I'm busy. And let's not even talk about the doctor. I'm going in to see the doctor. Well, I'm glad you're here. Please wait in the seat. And you wait anxiously, and they call out your name, and you're excited. All of a sudden, you realize that you have to wait in another room. What's with that? Waiting is a difficult thing, especially in the serious times, when all of a sudden, you don't have enough money to carry you through the end of the month, or you're about to lose the business, or you can't sell the house, or there's troubles at work that you can't resolve. And it goes on, and it goes on, and it goes on. And, and James says it this way, but let patience have her perfect work. You might be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Let me just say this. The time before God moves, you really do find out who you are. And I think when we take a look at this passage, sometimes we make the mistake of thinking, of thinking well, <coughs> the waiting was just for prayer. And, and I believe that it is with prayer, but there's so much more. And sometimes, sometimes the part of prayer that is most important is not the times where we say things to God. Sometimes the part of prayer that is most important is when God says stuff to us. And it's important to realize that. You know, it's, it's, it's really interesting when you take a look at it, that it was about prayer. It really was. And, and, and prayer is an important part in the waiting process. I've heard many people say to me, you know, Pastor, why, why isn't it like the day of Acts? We, we want to have a church that is like the day of Acts. Can we have a, a church like the day of Acts? And I said, sure. Prayer meeting starts Wednesday at 12 o'clock. I'll see you there. What do you mean? Well, the 
the church was the way that it was because it prayed. Because they had a prayer meeting. They prayed, uh, they were praying, travailing, and a prevailing church. They prayed during Pentecost as we read it. They prayed during persecution. They prayed in their praise time. They praised at Peter's imprisonment. They prayed at Paul's commissioning. And it was sincere, and it was sustained, and it was significant. And it's important for us to, to understand that the greatest weapon that we will have to be able to minister to this society is prayer, the prayer of everyone. He just doesn't say, well, you wait and you do something. He tells them all to wait. There's something about a church that waits on the Lord. And this became a reality to me over the last couple of weeks because over the last week and a half, I think at last count it was eight people who had approached me or had approached the church and said, listen, I have a petition that I need the church to sign. Here is the emails of particular individuals that you need to write to, and if you could tell the congregation to do that. I want to set up a table for this particular cause. It's important. Could you, could you please talk about this, address this from the altar? And so for those of you who, who, I, who have had those things, that I apologize that I haven't acted as quickly as perhaps you wanted. But the truth is this, that you were one of seven people, eight people. And it becomes an important thing when I say I admire your passion. And I admire our desire to take a stand, and we should make a stand. Well, I have learned that the first stand that we have to make needs to be on our knees. We need to have a united front of prayer that will do more than any petition or letter or campaign ever will. So we need to pray. We need to pray all the time, not when the circumstance happens. We don't use prayer as a response. We use prayer as a foundation. It's an important thing to understand that. Amen. Amen. So it's about prayer. But it's also about probability. It's about expectation. That's why it mentions the Greek word perimeno. Pray with expectancy. Pray like something was going to happen. Have you stopped to consider that when Jesus tells them to wait, he doesn't tell them what to wait for? Would have been nice, don't you think? You just keep praying and all of a sudden this kind of whirlwind like fire is going to come down and wind is going to blow. This is going to be exciting. And you're going to speak in other tongues and, and this incredible thing is going to happen. He doesn't say that to them. And many times he doesn't to us. But there has to be a level of expectation. Pray like God is going to move. Seek him like he's going to move. Have we lost our expectation? And it's about pursuit. They were chasing after God. The Old Testament, the Psalms, it talks about following hard after God him, to be so passionate for God that would you do almost anything to reach him, to experience him, and, and, um, and you stop and consider they had just seen their rabbi, the, the one that they loved, die and rise from the dead, and give him instructions and then shoot up into heaven. That's a pretty neat trick. That would make me want to pursue. I don't know about you. Those kind of things excite me a little bit. There's something about the pursuit. There's something about the fact that they were waiting because they wanted all of God that they possibly could. Before you have an Acts 2 experience, you got to have an Acts 1 experience in that many times God calls you to wait on him. Amen? Amen? Let's go on. The next one is wonder. 
Wondering is an interesting thing. It says in verse 6, as they gathered around him, they asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, the woe, the wonder that I'm talking about is not that kind of awestruck wonder, like, wow, look at all this. The wonder that I'm talking about is that question. Asking questions about things that we don't know about. And, and this was the case here in Acts chapter 1. Okay, God, you've done all this. Now are you going to take that hostile turnover of the Roman people and you're going to give them what they deserve and you're going to kind of rise up as the Messiah? That's what they had always learned. That's what was going on in the heart of all those people and they still didn't understand it. They were still saying, okay, God, is this where you do it? Is this where you're going to do this hostile takeover? And Jesus, basically to his credit, I could just imagine him saying, you guys still, you guys still don't get it. You know, it, it, it has more to do with the fact that let me deal with those things. And, and, and it's interesting when you take a look at it. And we take a look at our own lives and we ask ourselves, are we any different? Because when God does come and when God does move, it is more than likely that he will not do it than the way you thought, the way that you expected to happen. So be prepared, those of you who have anxious hearts, that he is not going to do it in your timing. He's not going to do it in your fashion. Be prepared, conservatives, that there will be things that will happen that will not fit your comfort zone. God will not be domesticated. He will not be tamed. He will not be put into a tiny box. And it is a lot more. And it's not really for us to know. It is for us to respond to God when he does move. Come to think of it, when was the last time that God ever answered your prayer in a way that you thought that he should or thought that he could? Not very often. What would happen if God moved in this congregation and it was quiet and it was still and there were just repentant hearts, but there was nobody dancing at the altar. There was nobody slain in the spirit and God just did a wonderful thing. He said, well, it's not supposed to happen that way. I've been in Pentecost for a number of years. I've been, I grew up in these pews. This is what's supposed to happen. This is what's supposed to happen. It's supposed to be a really good song. I'm supposed to feel good during that song. And all of a sudden, there's something that pulls me to the front, and there's going to be dancing, and there's going to be a Holy Spirit moment, and, and it's just going to be fantastic. And then God doesn't move that way. He doesn't move the way we kind of thought. Or what if he moves in an outlandish way that you're not comfortable with? That's too outlandish to be God. But stop and consider, was Acts 2 not an outlandish thing? You ever stop and consider why God did it the way he did? That was kind of like freaky out. This is kind of embarrassing. Why couldn't he make it a little bit easier? Because God doesn't beat to our drum. And when God does do a revival, I'll tell you one thing. It probably won't be the way that we expect it. One thing I do know is it'll probably be dirty and it'll probably be messy because you're dealing with people who are hurt. And when revival does happen, what you need to do is you need to grab a towel and serve. That will be the important part. That's the one thing I am sure of. That God will do things not the way we think, not according to our tradition, not according to my mindset. And it might be a little bit difficult to wonder. We have the weight. We have the wonder. And amongst the most important things for us to learn today or relearn today is the witness. Jesus says this. He says, you know, this is perhaps the most important verse in the book of Acts. 
Because, because the book of Acts is followed through based on not what happened in Acts chapter 2, but what happened in Acts chapter 1. You know, the book of the Acts chapter 1 was the fulfillment of what happened in the story of Acts. And, and, and this was an incredible thing. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Witnessing was the principal purpose. The whole purpose that Jesus said that I'm coming, this is why I'm leaving, is so that you will be a witness. And we all know that the Holy Spirit does more than that. It's part of the maturing process. It's part of the leading process. It's part of, it's part of many different things of, of what we do. But when Jesus talks about it, in Acts chapter 1, verse says, you will be a witness. You will be effective for the furtherance of the gospel. This Holy Spirit will come to give you supernatural boldness, to supernatural infilling, to supernatural anointing, to see people come to know Jesus. And when I consider the fact that I have a number of people in my family that don't know Jesus, this is a comfortable thing because I all of a sudden realize that the winning them is not for me to do. But what God does call for me to do is to stand up and to say something. And somehow God will work in a way that will minister to them and cause them to come to know Jesus. Being a witness is an important part of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And if we have a Holy Spirit experience that is or leaves us indifferent to the Great Commission, we have to ask ourselves if it is even the Holy Spirit at all. Because a movement of the Spirit brings us to God moving. If you take a look at Acts chapter 2 real quickly, let me just show you this. Acts chapter 2 verses 1 to 13 was the experience but then Acts chapter 14 to 41 is the expression of the experience. The experience happened, and then there's the expression of it. Peter gets up, and a guy who was a coward just a few weeks ago tells everybody about Jesus, and thousands of people come to know Jesus. And then from verses um, 42 to 47, there will be what I'll call the expansion. All of a sudden, the church gathers together, and they just have a great and joyous time of unity in the Holy Spirit. The thing is, you need that. You need to have the experience but then you need to have the expression, and then you need to have the expansion. Because if you go to experience to expansion, you just become salt of the salt. That's not what was ever intended to be. Let's not make idols of the experiences that we have at the alt, at, at, with God. But what we do is we make them altars. We make them Bethel experiences. We have those experiences, and they become the platform that God uses for us to be witnesses for him. To be a witness means that supercharged with the Holy Spirit, God works with you as you express your love to other people. I don't know if I can say it any plainer in any other way. The ultimate goal is the advancement of the kingdom of God. So my prayer, <coughs> my prayer for you is to have all of the Holy Spirit that he desires to give. That he will baptize you and put you in a position so that you will shine for him. But it might require you to wait. And it might require you to have an open mind to expect something different. And it also makes you have to be available to be a witness, however that looks. And the best way to be a witness is to demonstratively love people 
and let the Holy Spirit to do the work through us. And that is the challenge today. Amen? So, I hesitate to say this. I wrestled with this in prayer. And I really don't like putting my hands in hornet's nests. But I will choose to do so today. Because I know that there is a huge issue coming up this week. Having to deal with immoral literature taking place in our schools. If you haven't heard about it, maybe you should get out of your hole. Because it is a big item. And and they're going to be meeting at Vincent Massey School at 7 o'clock. And it is going to be a full place. And there are going to be sides on, on both sides discussing this, this issue. And um, I feel it's important to say something. And it might be strange as to that you might think that I'm taking this the way um, that it is. And I don't choose um, to take a side in terms of um, how your children are taught the word of God. And I've had opinions, and I have changed those opinions, and I may even change my opinion again. It may very well be that when my kids have kids and those kids go to school, that I might very well be saying, you know, it might be good with all the things that are going on, it might be good that if you put your children in a Christian school or homeschooled or whatever way you choose, and I'm not taking a side, um, as to whether you put your kids in public school um, or whether you put your kids in a Christian school or whether you homeschooled your kids. I'm not that crazy, folks, to get talking about this. But as I have looked at this, I thought back 50 years ago how around 50 years ago there were people that were a little bit concerned with with the way the public school was going. And so what they did is they decided that they were going to create a new school system. And so what they did is they took a majority of the Christian kids out of the school system, and in order to teach them, they took out a large majority of Christian teachers out of the public school system so that they could find a safer environment to teach their kids. And so 40 years later, we are dealing with a dilemma in the public system that there's immoral literature and things that are going on, and, and it is appalling. I am not going to say that it is not appalling at all in any way. But the thing that goes through my mind as a pastor is that we shouldn't be surprised. We shouldn't be surprised that we are in the state that we are. When we kind of leave the public system and the public system goes to hell. It's, it's something when you stop and consider that. And, and hey, if you're going to write a letter to me, make sure you sign it. Because I won't write, read any letters that aren't signed to me. And I don't want to offend anybody in any way. But just to lament. Maybe that's what I'm doing. I'm lamenting the fact that God has called us to be witnesses. 
But when we leave the scene, we no longer become witnesses. And we end up with the scenario that we have. And then, then a number of, of those who grew up in the system, the Christian school system, have trouble telling people about Jesus because they've always lived in an environment where everybody knew Jesus. And so we're at a time and we're living through an occasion where people are not telling other people about Jesus because they don't know a lot of people who don't know Jesus. Is that making any sense to you in, in any way? I'm hoping that, that I, I, my heart is trying to come out on this. And sometimes I wonder if what we are seeing, which is happening in the school, are the unpaid debts of a church, or the church in general, who does not genuinely and authentically and demonstratively love the community that they're in. That's what happens. And when all of a sudden we come along the scene and saying this is bad and we've never ever shown them that we love them, if we've never ever demonstrated that we love them, we come across as self-righteous and even hateful. And so we're in a dilemma. And the dilemma is we do need to say something. But the other dilemma is we haven't built the foundation to say it effectively. That's why it's important to be a church in your community for your community. Because as you do that, you prove to people, you demonstrate to people that you actually love them. So that when you have to say something, they'll at least say this, well, at least they love me. At least they have demonstrated somehow, somewhere along the way that they have loved me. And that's why it is important to understand as we do evangelism or any kind of witness that we're actually going to have to act like Christians, before the crisis comes, before the situation comes. That's important. And that, the reason I say that is because as a church, that's the direction that we want to go. We want to prove to people that we love them. It requires you to go to your neighbor and let them know that you love them. Go to your brother, to your sister, whatever the case may be, because God said this, I will give you a power which is dunamis power, dynamite power, and that will be the thing that will make you a witness, not just in your own family, but even outside of your family. So will you take that step out? Will you take that challenge to genuinely love people and let God do the work? God, we wait upon you. There might be some people who are waiting upon you at this time. They're just, they're just in the midst of something, learning, and God, you're just kind of pouring into them. You're kind of teaching them all these lessons as they wait upon you. And there's some people who have an expectation of how you're going to move, and you're going to move in a totally different way, and they're going to miss it because they're so locked into the method that they think you're supposed to move. And Father, there is a challenge, Father, that you said you're going to give us power to be witnesses, Father. But Lord, I just pray that we will put ourselves in a position where we are truly witnesses, that we are living lives, that we are extending ourselves to, to love people genuinely, authentically, demonstratively loving people. So we can win people to Jesus. I ask this God, spirit move in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. I grew up in the house of an alcoholic. I had no one in my life who knew Jesus. And, and somehow got caught shoplifting and a 
bunch of crazy people knocked on my door right around that time. They had a bus and they said, hey, you know, we kind of have this bus. We'll pick up your kids and go to church. And my mom, for punishment, says, yeah, send them to church. I got saved eventually. I eventually fell away and there's a friend of mine who just got saved. And if it wasn't for people who demonstrated love for me, I wouldn't be saved because I had no, no, I didn't come on in, in a Christian family. I didn't come up in a Christian family and know anybody from any, anything outside of Christianity. And maybe you know, and if you do, and you got saved because your mom and your dad or your uncle, someone would say that's a wonderful thing. But for me, that wasn't the case. And many times as I get preaching this way, I always come back to the fact that who is going to reach someone like me? Who is going to reach me? That's a challenge for us. Because it's your neighbor. It's, it's, it's those people around you that, that God has somehow put in your life. My prayer is that God will give you all of the Holy Spirit that you need. We stand up. I'm going to close, uh, um, close in a song.